Welcome to Sellersburg United Methodist Church Podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. Advent, week two. I can't believe the second candle is lit. It's, it's going fast. Remember, Advent means arrival. And so we haven't received the arrival and the story yet of the birth of Christ, but we prepare through this time of Advent. And the busyness of Christmas is on us. I have some questions for you. I'll assume everyone has the decorations up that are going to put decorations up. Even the Joneses who moved this week, I'm assuming maybe you have a decoration or two up. I don't know. Anyone still need to decorate for Christmas? A few. All right. See, I shouldn't assume. Who has started purchasing gifts? Who has finished purchasing gifts? Look at these people. Pray for their souls. (laughs) Making us all look bad. We're behind the eight ball here. Hopefully you've all scheduled some gatherings with friends, with family, loved ones. I know it's been a lot harder to do that this year, but I hope that you have been able to find time on the schedule to start planning. Big, small, fancy, not fancy, but coming together. How many of you are hosting a gathering, either where you live or you're in charge of the space you're going to gather? All right, several of you. Your to-do list is even longer than the rest of us. So if you've already purchased all your gifts and you're because you've got to prepare for that, then grace be upon you. You've got to prepare your gathering place in a way that some of the rest of us do not. Decorating, cleaning, getting to those broken things that you've had on your list for maybe months or years, but maybe it's finally making its way up the list. It's going to be more of a priority because you want to be prepared when guests arrive. Company is coming, and we work hard to prepare. So we look at our homes differently when we're expecting company, yes? We do see the things that we haven't seen. It's the same with the church. If we're expecting the bishop, let's just say, some people spent some time looking around to identify things that we wanted to have taken care of. There are two types of preparers. There are those who meticulously prepare for days and weeks prior to the event. They're deep cleaning. They are combing the fringes on the carpet. They are buying the right candles and soaps for all of the appropriate places to fill the house with the proper scents. They're decorating even the smallest spaces that most people would overlook. They're cleaning the walls and the baseboard. They're trimming bushes outside in the cold. They're wishing they could plastic wrap the house once they're done so no one mess it up. And then there are the rest of us who wait till the last minute as we frantically throw things into closets we hope no one opens. We give a quick spot sweep, right? We just address the messes, and then we frantically run around and prepare in the final minutes until the doorbell rings and we realize the gig is up and it is as good as it's going to get. Whichever you are, We know what it means to prepare for the arrival of company, of a special guest, those who are meaningful to us. We don't want to be caught unprepared with a house in disarray, or we just apologize for the messy house. Even when it's perfectly clean, I imagine that Janet welcomes her guests in after cleaning the plastic wrap off and still apologizes for the mess of the house. I just have a feeling, Janet. We come to this passage today, it's all about preparation. It's a similar nature of preparation. A similar arrival, special guest is coming. 
And so we're going to read from Luke 3. Now, the reading takes place after the account of the birth, but the adult Jesus has not arrived on the scene. We're going to hear about Jesus' second cousin. Anyone know his second cousin's name? John, John the Baptist. Yes. We're going to hear from him, not directly this week. We'll hear directly from him next week. But we're going to hear what prepares the hearer, us, for John's words today. And I want you to notice that it talks about the word of God coming to John. And I want you to notice that it comes to a very specific time and place and context. And maybe just as important, notice the word of God does not come to other specific people and places. The word is connected then in our reading to an ancient prophecy from Isaiah 40. And so they connect John's account and the word coming to him back to this ancient prophecy several hundred years old. And so we'll hear the scripture, the coming of the word of God to John, and I want you to see what is happening here. We'll talk about what it meant then and what it means now. In the 15th year of the rule of the emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea and Herod was ruler over Galilee, his brother Philip was ruler over Eturia and Trachonitis, and Lysanias was ruler over Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, God's word came to John, son of Zechariah in the wilderness. John went throughout the region of the Jordan River, calling for people to be baptized, to show that they were changing their hearts and lives and wanted God to forgive their sins. This is just as it was written in the scroll of the words of Isaiah the prophet. A voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley will be filled, and every mountain and hill will be leveled. The crooked will be made straight, and the rough places made smooth. All humanity will see God's salvation. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. You've heard part of this passage. Did you remember all the names of the rulers beforehand and all the different places listed? Seems kind of odd, doesn't it? We don't spend a lot of time focused on that, but I can promise you every word penned in a gospel is penned with intention and careful thought. So why all these details? It's significant because the arrival of God's word comes in a specific time, the year 28 AD. We know this because according to our records, that was the 15th year of Emperor Tiberius's reign. So we know actually when it came, who was ruling and who was ruling Israel on behalf of Rome, Pilate, Pontius Pilate. We'll hear his name again in the story. We know who was ruling politically in Israel, Herod Antipas, Philip, and Lysanias, poor Lysanias, I, I don't think he ever gets any time in the limelight like Herod and Philip sometimes. We know who was ruling religious Israel, Annas and Caiaphas, the high priesthood. We know who the guys are that are in charge, and it's made clear when the arrival of the word comes. It's kind of strange, isn't it? Rome was the actual power of the entire Western world. Rome had set up puppet leaders to govern in particular areas, and Israel had leaders in the temple. The seats of power are listed here in specific places with specific people, but this is not where the word of God 
came to any of these places and to any of these people. Not to places of power, not to people of power, not to people of significance. God did not come even to the temple or civilized Israel. God did not come to the most powerful seat on the planet in Rome. God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness of all places. And what was this word that came? What we know from the passage is that the word is coming to John and it led him to go throughout the entire region of the Jordan River and call people to enter into the waters of that river as a sign, an outward sign, that they were going to change their hearts and lives, that they were entering into a new reality, a new birth, hence the waters, and let that outward sign be a sign of the inward change, that they either were seeking, were embracing, or that was occurring. And this whole situation is then wrapped up in this ancient text from Isaiah. And it's kind of strange if we think about it. Filling in valleys, leveling mountains, fixing crooked paths, and smoothing rough roads. If only we could do all of those things by simply entering into water. We'd have a lot less stressful drive on the interstate. Preparation is what this passage is about. Addressing broken things that maybe have been put off for a little too long. The outward sign of baptism shows of the inward preparation, addressing what needs to be addressed. Why? Because God's salvation is coming. All people will see it. All humanity, it says. So how are people called to respond to the arrival of God in God's salvation? We are called to prepare. Makes sense. We prepare all the time for the arrival of people and things. Now, we're going to get into the details of the word next week. But the power of this passage must be acknowledged in what we have today. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't God's power and word come to a place of influence? Wouldn't it have been easier to get the message out if it went to Rome, came to Caesar, or even came to the kings who were Jewish by heritage, right? Philip? Herod, and I have to look up his name, Lyasus, I can't even, I don't even know, poor guy, the only time he's mentioned. Why not in the temple? Wouldn't it make sense that God's word come to these places? If you want to have maximum impact, if we were strategizing as, as market researchers today, the last place we would go is to some camel hair wearing locust eating ruffian in the wilderness playing in the river. Amen? But the gospel story will lay out exactly why God's word comes in this way. Because it first pointed to the systems in place and the people in charge of those systems to say that God's word doesn't come there. Because systems are always going to struggle with corruption. If people are involved, they are going to be corrupt, and no system on earth and in history is immune to corruption. Amen? Even my digestive system leads me astray, friends. Because people in power and systems that are described in our gospel reading, they are like oil and water. They don't mix well. We can name a long list of very powerful, influential pastors who have struggled with corruption. God's word came to the uncivilized redneck wilderness, if you will. It's true. No systems are in place in the wilderness. None. The man ate locusts. There was no system out there. 
This is why people who seek spiritual retreat often go into the wilderness, away from civilization, away from our systems that we are embedded in. They go away to the uncorrupted nature, to get away from distractions. And if they're really good, they turn their phone off, right? They leave it behind because we can now take civilization with us wherever we go. Isn't it a blessing? No. Any and all systems, as much good as they can offer, they're going to have their issues. Most systems also require allegiance to those systems. You must be loyal to those systems if you're going to participate in them. We have to spend time keeping the system going, right? So if you participate in it, then you have to pay into it. You have to give your loyalty. You even have to promote it. And sometimes in that effort, as good as the system can be, we end up not doing the very thing the system was built to do. It happens. Rome is the ultimate power, the highest power on earth in Jesus' day. Israel has always been the location of God's action, specifically the presence in the temple. And the temple's the real surprise in this story. God's word did not come to the temple. When it did at the beginning of Luke, what happened? The high priest Zechariah didn't believe it. God's word can't go to any system where people are. It can't start there. Not that it won't. I don't know that it could come. Because when it does, it's shut down in one way or another. Reading the gospel accounts makes it clear that Jesus butted heads with every single system in place in his world. Even his family system. They thought he was crazy. He disrupted the temple by flipping some tables or at the very least, forgiving sins away from the temple, which is a no-no. It made some people mad. He locks horns with Israel's political leaders. He calls kings bad names. Calls him a fox. Calls him a swaying reed that just bends at the will of the wind. And I know that may seem like a strange thing to call somebody, but in their day, that was not a good thing to say. He ultimately stands against Rome. And where does that lead him? To a cross. The systems in place will never prepare for the arrival of God's salvation because God's salvation will not fit into the containers they offer. Most of the time because the system won't let it. And our systems today are the same way. Our, our country's power thrives on war. I mean, that's how we became powerful was through wars and selling ammunition. That's just part of our history. I'm not condemning it. I'm just acknowledging that's, that's part of our story. Amen? But when a rain comes in fully God's one day when there is no war, it's not going to quite work the same here. Our economic system is driven by excess and consumption. You can never have enough, nor should you. But in a rain where all are called to be satisfied and content and generous to those in need, it's going to struggle with the system that we live with. No system in place is prepared for the arrival of Christ, not in Jesus' day, not now. And so the word of God will come outside of systems. That much is clear. It has to. It's the only place where the word can be received. A locust-eating camel, hair-wearing, roaming son of a priest. He lives in the wilderness, and he's uncorrupted by systems. He's strange because he doesn't fit into our system. He doesn't rely on them in any way either. 
Only when you don't rely on a system can you see it for what it is. And maybe you've grown up in a time and you've stepped out of a system you were in and suddenly looked back and saw it differently. Remember high school? For those of us who have graduated high school, you look back and, gosh, if you could just go to yourself your freshman year and tell yourself some things about the way you're going to perceive the next four years, you think those four years would have been different? I wish we could tell those who are getting into high school, it's coming, Sophie. And she's going to think her parents know nothing, right? Well, you probably already do, don't you? Let's be honest. And one day, Sophie, you'll, you'll get through middle school, you'll get high school, and you'll look back and you'll see it different, just the way that we do, a many systems and things we've been a part of. So when you don't rely on it, suddenly you gain some awareness. The preparation then begins not with systems for God, but with people. Not with powerful or influential people who benefit from the system, but regular people who are not working within it or trying to conserve it. John has no skin in the game of systems, none. John is uncorrupted. He called people then to physically leave the systems in place and to reorient themselves to God in the muddy waters of the Jordan River, and they are muddy up in there, to change their hearts and minds because God's system is coming what we call the kingdom. And they saw that John was not peddling a new fad. John was not trying to sell them anything. He wasn't out in the wilderness to benefit himself. His peace was not a facade. And people saw it. People could see John was different. And only by disorienting themselves from the sense of the norm and then leaving that power, privilege, and and security and reorienting themselves to God alone in, in the wilderness, could they actually address the broken places in their heart? And that's sometimes, I think, where we struggle. I want to diet by eating the same foods I still eat. That doesn't work, does it? I'm going to try every trick there is so that I don't actually have to, to work out. And look what it's done to me. The valleys in our souls can only be filled by God. The mountains in our hearts can only be leveled by God's way. Amen? The crooked paths within us can only be made straight by God. The rough places can only be smoothed by God and God's grace. Isaiah says all humanity will see God's salvation. God is coming. The arrival of Jesus was always meant to be experienced by the whole world. That's the story. The fact of the matter is, it was never going to be received in seats of power. Look at Israel's struggles throughout the Old Testament. Those of you who are working your way through Samuel and Kings, you see what happens. And just look what happened when, they, when these positions of power finally did encounter Jesus. Rarely will the word of God come in the thick of a system, which is why it takes people going out of the system to experience it. Don't hear me wrong, please. The church, which is a system can be a place where the word of God is encountered, amen? But only when the church is not functioning as a self-focused system. And that happens. On our best days, the church is about focusing outward, about how we can be in service to the world on Christ's behalf, who was in service to the world. And we do this work until the renewal of all creation occurs. On our worst days, we focus on survival, and we turn our attention to be of service to ourselves. 
treating ourselves as arbiters of faith, who gets in and who doesn't, who's acceptable and who's not. The people of Israel needed John more than they needed Caesar, more than they needed any of the kings. They needed someone not reliant on a system to hear the uncorrupted word of God and then to be willing to spread the news. And that's what he did. People know uncorrupted truth when they see it. I am convinced, and I'll tell you, I sat with that sentence for a while because I see a lot of people convinced by a lot of strange things in this world, and I am convinced by some strange things in this world, and you all are convinced by some strange things in this world. Amen? And if you find yourself resistant to give an amen there, there's some proof. The fact of the matter is, uncorrupted truth will be recognized because uncorrupted truth always brings peace. Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Eventually, the lies of the world will be exposed. It may take time, but it'll happen. And here we are today, the heralds of good news ourselves. We're the church. We're God's people. We are to be uncorrupted and not relying upon any other system as our foundation. We're in systems you can't help it. It's how we thrive. It's how we live. It's how we do life as a group of people. But our foundational system is God alone. We are to prepare ourselves in this Advent season as we anticipate the arrival of the rain, both now and we tell the story then and we look forward to one day when it all comes. As John called people to prepare for the arrival of Jesus' ministry, then we are called to prepare ourselves now. That's what this time is for in Advent. And we have help. We have the Holy Spirit to help us prepare to address those broken things that maybe we've put off for far too long. We don't want to be corrupted and upside down when the world is put right side up. That's one way to say it. Or another way to say it is we don't want our lives to be in disarray when company comes. We have the uncorrupted word of God and Jesus Christ revealed to us through the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that is in our very beings bringing us into this way of peace. The world needs us now, friends, just like it needed John then. We've been given the word in flesh in Christ Jesus. We've been given the same spirit, and that Holy Spirit leads us into a life of holiness and peace through preparation. So may we hear the words of John once more and then become bearers of God's word ourselves. The Gospels make it clear Political systems, religious systems, community systems, even family systems have the capacity to lead us astray. We must be prepared. Like John, we must have our foundation outside of all of those systems and on God alone, on Christ alone. Not necessarily like John living, down, living in a van down by the river, but regularly orienting ourselves to God alone. Worship is a great space for orienting ourselves, as long as worship is not becoming focused on perpetuating other systems. You may have seen that happen a time or two. But rather, together as one body, and as we take communion, we're going to prepare ourselves. And when you sit at the table, you're sitting at the table of Christ the King, at the system of God, away from all other systems, to reorient ourselves once again, to prepare our hearts for peace, knowing we have forgiveness and to belong to God once more so that we may live our lives 
amidst systems, uncorrupted. And then we may share the good news of what we have found by demonstrating that peace to those around us, letting them simply see the truth in the way we are, in the way we live, and sometimes, if necessary, by the things we say. And we want to let God's light shine through us. Amen? We want to be that source, just like the baptizer was so long ago, that people might follow us into the same waters where we have been, that they can reorient themselves in this new way. Christ is coming, friends. Hallelujah. So let us prepare the way in our hearts. Let us make room that we might be prepared too. Amen. We thank you for worshiping with us. And it is our hope that through the Holy Spirit, you have felt the touch of God upon your life. If you would like to know more about our church and its ministries, please visit our website at sellersburgumc.com.